Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and onboard our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week as we sit down with our crew, patients, volunteers, and partners to hear their stories of life-changing hope and healing. As a civil engineer in Montana, Ben Stewart was enjoying his career but thought it was time for a sabbatical. Ben decided to take the advice of his aunt and uncle and applied to volunteer with Mercy Ships. On board the Africa Mercy as the medical supply assistant, Ben was convinced that he had the best job on the ship. Get ready to be uplifted and laugh with Ben Stewart. Well, Ben Stewart, it is so fun to have you on the podcast today. I'm excited to catch up with you. So welcome to New Mercies. Oh, thanks, Rand. Happy to be here. Ben, currently you are in Montana. So before we dive into your Mercy Ships journey, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do in Montana? Well, I am a structural engineer, work mostly in the construction industry, doing uh, different types of scaffolding and concrete formwork and all sorts of random stuff most people don't think about when a bridge gets built, for instance. Hmm. So yeah, most folks on problem solving and, and structural design. Awesome. When I met you in 2019, we were going through the onboarding program at Mercy Ships headquarters in Texas. So for those listening, when you commit to come volunteer with Mercy Ships for longer than a couple weeks or a couple months, you go through their training program that's called onboarding. And it's an awesome time to learn a lot about the history of the organization, but also to get to know some people that you're going to be living with for quite some time. And that's where I got to meet you, Ben. At that time, what was going on in your life in Montana that caused you to say, you know what, I'm going to go and live on a ship in West Africa and volunteer? Well, uh, so I was enjoying life in Montana, but my my social network had kind of dried up a little bit. I had a bunch of friends who, as you might imagine, industry in Montana isn't super huge. So uh, <laughs> a lot of friends were getting job promotions and needing to move away or they'd finished grad school and stuff like that. So um, I remember I had a small group at church that we started in like 2012, 2013, we had like 14 people. And that was like the core of my friend group. Hmm. And by 2018, we were down to three of us. And so it's slowly over time. And so I realized that, okay, so I either need to reinvest in, in Montana and Missoula where I'm at, or I should start over somewhere else. And so I started thinking, kicking things around and I was like, oh, I should take a sabbatical. Hmm. And uh, that, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. And Mercy Ships in particular was on my mind because my aunt and uncle were involved back in the YWAM days. Okay. And uh, so I'd always known about the organization. And when we got together, family gatherings, I was like, hey, you should do this. And they t- tell their stories. And that, that was a, something on my mind. And I, I took a trip in 2018 to Tunisia to go visit some fr- family friends of my aunt and uncle hmm. and uh, met my uncle and my cousin down there. And we helped them with their company that started. I was like, oh, that, that, and just during that time, they're like, you're thinking about sabbatical about Mercy Ships. And I was like, oh yeah. And looked it up and that kind of started me on the path and finding a, the right role and all that stuff. Well, being a structural engineer, <laughs> what kind of jobs did Mercy Ships have to offer you? I don't think you're building bridges when you're living on a ship, but what, what kind of stuff did you do? I mean, I, there's metaphorical bridges we're obviously building with Mercy there Ships. There you go. Really being an engineer... And the reason I, I got the degree to begin with was because it's, it's basically a degree in problem solving. And so mm. every organization needs problem solvers. And so I knew I could find something. Now, was it something that lined up with the amount of time? I was 
looking to commit and something I found interesting. I don't know. So I looked through it and there was supply department, which just said logistics and, you know, familiarity with Microsoft Excel and things like that. I was like, oh, I could totally do that. And so that sounded like something I could accomplish. And down the road, I ended up after getting involved in Merchips, there's a bunch of engineers. The the guy who ran the supply department was a civil engineer. Uh, There was a guy I met who was in finance, who was a project manager for a civil engineering firm. Yeah. So they find ways to, to use people from all over. Absolutely. That's yeah. so cool. So so you initially applied and went on board as a supply manager. Is that correct? Uh, I was a medical supply assistant. The medical supply assistant. Okay. So tell us about that. That's a pretty unique role. Yeah. So it was low-key the best job on the ship. And I don't <laughs> and I, I know people like, oh, I love my job. It's like, no, I think this was legitimately the best job on the ship. So one, I gotta wear scrubs. I worked in the hospital, which yes. as a non-medical person was very rare. Hmm. I mean, you remember from your time on the ship, get, getting interaction with the patients and things like that for a non-medical person was possible. There were times you could go down there, but I was in every hospital ward every single day. I was walking through the, the surgery part of the ship, interacting with all the doctors and the nurses and all the patients as they're going through their screening process and getting their x-rays done. I got to see it all. As a medical supply assistant, we were coordinating all the medical supplies that came to the ship and organizing it and then distributing it to okay. all the different departments. So all of the, you know, the end product of Mercy Ships, you know, all the surgeries and the, the care and screening and everything, we we're touching all those departments again, wow. all of them. Hmm. And so I, yeah, it, I, I got to interact with all the patients and all the doctors and everything with the lowest possible amount of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> so it just turned into this really fun um, and yeah, I mean, there, there was stressful times where once in a while, when you got an anesthesiologist running in, like, Hey, we need a nasopharyngeal tube this size, blah, blah, blah. it's like, okay, I got to find it real quick and then give it to wow. them. Then you feel accomplished. Like you did something. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. You know, it's those little details that sometimes people don't really think about. They don't think of all the logistics and all of the supplies that are needed that need to be ordered, that need to be organized, that need to be delivered to departments. There's so much that goes into, as you said, the end result of the patient walking away transformed, you know? So to have a part in that is so incredible. What was that like for you to interact with patients? I'm sure you had the opportunity to do that being in their space so much of your day. So tell us about that. I mean, it it was great. And it was, you know, it, depending on your personality type, it could be as more or as, as much or little as you want as far as interacting with the patients. Um, so uh, every morning we started by, we'd get these reports from the smart cabinets that told us what they needed to refill from the previous day. And so we collect all that supplies and then we go into every single hospital ward where there was, you know, 25 patients and their caregivers. And we would go and we fill all the cabinets in there, which mm. are located behind the patient's beds. <laughs> Right. So we're squeaking between the beds, between the patients and, you know, getting to practice all our Wolof readings. Hmm. It's not a time crunch necessarily. I mean, you get to take your time and yeah. And so you just, you know, sometimes you're in there and, you know, a, a caregiver went to go take a shower and a nurse hands you a baby and is like, I need you to hold on to this baby for a while. <laughs> or, uh, you know, some of the caregivers are like, I, I see you every day and they want to talk to you. And obviously they're using a translator and they're like, you're greeting us every day. Like, what's your name? Where are you from? And so like, I explain these things and uh, 
I try to tell them I don't know how to speak Wolof and Wolof because that was one of the <laughs> phrases I memorized. And then they start <laughs> laughing at me and they're like, you do know how to speak Wolof. Like, why are you lying? <laughs> not like, because one of the like four phrases I know. Uh, so it is, uh, that was awesome. And then the other thing that was great was just the, the maxillofacials patients mm. were amazing. So those people show up and it just breaks your heart because they are living what I would deem probably the worst possible existence, hmm. right? So they show up and these are people who, first off, you get some sort of abscess or something and you're, you're slightly disfigured. And in a lot of these cultures, people think you're cursed yeah. or something and you get excluded. And slowly as it grows over time, all of a sudden you can't eat or you can't breathe as well. So now you're weak and you can't work. So then you're a burden hmm. on top of that. And then you eventually die. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And so these people show up and they're smart. They realize what path they're on. Hmm. And some of them haven't had any meaningful contact for years. And you just see them waiting to get an x-ray or something. And you just stop and say, hello. And sometimes they avoid eye contact or whatever. And you have to gauge how the person's feeling everything. But you just stop and put your bag down, whatever you're carrying and shake their hand and greet them and stuff. And they would just light up and just like, you just witness that transformation. And I, I just got to do little things like that every day. And it was, it was amazing. This is such a little thing, like, you know, saying hi to someone. Well, you know, we think it's a little thing, Yeah. but to have someone acknowledge your presence means everything. Oh yeah. You know, and especially like you mentioned for these people that some of them have been cast out of their villages, even out of their families because of their disfigurements. And here's a stranger intentionally walking up to them, looking them in the eye, shaking their hand, even just saying hello with a smile. It, it means the world. Oh, completely. And I mean, there were times I would go into to D ward where most of these patients were and Dr. Gary Park would be in there and he'd be like, today's the day we're getting it. We're getting it removed. And you can see the person just light up. And, you know, I, I might, you know, all of a sudden have to leave the room because of some, you know, emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like just to see that this, like the excitement and just like, yeah, the reality, like they've seen other patients come in and leave and they're completely changed. Yeah. And yeah, it's crazy. Wow. How, how cool that you got to be an interesting yet integral part of that process for these people. Oh yeah. It was crazy. Hmm. Now, was yeah. there one patient that stood out to you in particular, maybe one that you got to spend a little extra time with that you could tell us about? Uh, I mean, there's a few that I, I got to interact through like the hope center okay. where I would get extended time with the single patient, you know, cause I would, I would see them before and then I'd see them up and then after um, and just those few interactions, you got to see the transformation but I don't, I didn't get as much like quality time yeah. as like some of the nurses might where they're like treating their dressings and stuff every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't say that I had like a relationship with the patients in the same way that some of the nurses did. Yes. I, I knew that I knew their names, they knew my name and things like that, but maybe it wasn't quite as deep sure. as some of the other, uh, like yeah, the medical people might've had. Hmm. Well, you mentioned going to the Hope Center Mm -hmm. to visit some of these patients. Like you said, your first interaction probably was in the wards and in the hospital, providing supplies, but sharing greetings. What were you doing at the Hope Center that caused you to run into these patients again? Um, I mean, a lot of times you're just like spending time with the kids and doing things. Uh, There would be the the services that would happen on Sundays. Okay. Um, 
where it's just bringing everyone together and sing some songs and share stories from the Bible. And then there's a lot of just like social time where mm-hmm. like the kids just get a play and you just get a, get a sit and talk to people where they're from. And that's really their like family and their community life. And you just get to inject yourself for a while. And yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun as a non-medical person to be able to almost track the journey of some of these patients, because as a volunteer, you do have the opportunity to visit them in the hospital during visiting hours, but then also to visit them in the Hope Center where they can go for their recovery and their rehabilitation. And you can see them rehabilitate. You can see them transform, which is so awesome to carry on that experience. For your job, was there a favorite moment or a highlight for you? I mean... It was really just the day in, day out of just getting that interaction and just to see all the the transformation amongst the patients. And mm. then I, I really loved uh, working with the day crew. So I had a day crew person who was basically my partner. Okay. Um, and just that relationship was amazing to see. He was a, a very devout Muslim man in which he was all on board with the mission of the organization, but he was very skeptical of Christians. He loved what we were doing. He loved being a part of it but he fundamentally believed that we were mistaken in our beliefs. We didn't know the truth. We were mm. ignorant or something like that. Sure. And uh, as time went on, just interacting with him every day and just becoming good friends, we still text and stuff here and there. It's like, oh, like he started opening up and we just started connecting more. And it, it just seeing that transformation. And yeah, he, I, think, I think he started questioning things and just like his understanding of who Christians were and stuff. And mm. That was cool just to witness that transformation. Yeah. As humans, I think oftentimes when we're with people that are different than us, Mm -hmm. we have these assumptions and we kind of have these ideas of of who they are. Or if you are a Muslim, then you must be like this because that's what I've heard. Or if you're a Christian, et cetera. But when you take the time to actually enter into relationship with people who are different than you and take the time to learn, to be curious, to ask questions, all of a sudden your eyes are opened up to really the connections that we have and how much we have in common. But also you learn that a lot of your stereotypes are the things that you assumed of that culture or that religion were totally wrong. So I love that mercy ships really is open to all cultures and all religions. We don't require patients to share our faith values. We are there to just love on everybody, as well as the people who come on board to serve. Our day crew might not share our same religious values, but yet they are valuable because they're humans and we love them. And so it's really cool that you got to experience some of those walls being broken down. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And just, just the idea of them realizing that like, oh, like you're who you are and who I thought you were, there's a disconnect mm-hmm. and like them having to come to terms with that. And, you know, that happens for us as, as the crew members as well. Just like just not having like bad views of people, but just having, just having different ones and just yeah. coming face to face on it. Like, oh, this is cool. Like I didn't realize this. Or, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Just being educated. You know, learning so much about cultures. That's so cool too, that you have the privilege of working with someone who is a local West African. 
Mm-hmm. So you can learn about their culture. So with that, were there some cool things that you learned about the Senegalese people through, what was the name of the gentleman that you worked with? Uh, Abib. Abib. Did you learn mm-hmm. some neat things about Senegal from him? Um, Senegal is just a very interesting place. So it, it's obviously a, a Muslim nation where it's, you know, 95% Muslim, but they are uh, of the like, look at the, wording is I think the Sufi brotherhood, I think is like the, their like denomination of Islam. Okay. Um, which makes them far more tolerant of other religions. Okay. The Muslims are happy to interact with other Christians, but the, their first president was Catholic. Huh. And like, imagine if George Washington was a Hindu or something, we might have a different view of other religions. And like Abib, he said his uncle was Catholic. Huh. So I, I think that that lends itself to having more conversations and things like that. And yeah, so that they, they were very tolerant, but they're very kind. As with most of the Africans, they seem very joyful, very, very quick to smile, very quick to dance and, and to celebrate things and just wanting to bring, make you be a part of their celebration. Which Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I know you also got to spend time off ship on your days off and have I think an adventurous spirit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your off ship adventures and maybe one of your favorites? Yeah. So let's see here. Did quite a few little things here and there. I got to go surfing for the first time. So that was, that was fun. Just lots of just exploring and walking around, checking out different monuments and things. Uh, went and did a softball league slash tournament at the hosted by the American embassy with the other nonprofits and things. That was super fun. So you get all the people from the ship, like only 40% of our team was American. So <laughs> getting all these, teaching them how to play softball and going, that was fun. Yeah. I went to a wrestling match, which is a big sport there in Senegal. Hmm. Yeah. That was a big arena and everything. Went on a safari oh, um, to, cool. to a nature preserve, all sorts of little trips here and there. That's awesome. Well, during your time on board, did you stay working in the medical supply department the whole time or did your role change? (laughs) My role changed. So uh, (laughs) obviously we were there together when March of 2020 happened and we had to shut down the hospital. And at that time I had already volunteered to, so the the way our department was working, people were leaving to go get married and our department was kind of going to be going through a a handover of pretty much everyone. Mm. Um, And so my role was expected to continue through the summer, which was the like refit period for the ship. And so I had volunteered to shift out of medical and into the general supply team. I decided this like in January, February of 2020. And so I was going to learn those parts of it so I could help with the handover across the entire supply department. So the supply department was split into medical and general. Okay. Uh, so the medical people took care of all, obviously the medical side of the ship and then general took care of everything else. Uh, so food, cleaning supplies, office supplies, everything you need to keep the ship running. Hmm. Um, and so I had volunteered to jump over to that and kind of share both worlds so I could help during the handover process in the summer. Well, right as I started doing that, that's when COVID happened. And so it became a natural fit <laughs> for me to shift into the supply manager position. And so I started training up for that. And then uh, as people were able to get away from the ship, I, I, t- I took over that role. And I was the supply manager from May of 2020 till I ended up leaving the ship in late November 
So what was that like for you to be on board during that transition? And how did your experience change during that time? Because before you were so joyful getting to interact (laughs) with patients and go through the hospital each day. And now all of a sudden the hospital's closed, Right, you're no longer interacting with patients. What, what was that like for you? Oh, I mean, it was obviously stressful times at the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't know anything at that point. We just knew the world was shutting down. Mm. Uh, There were fears that, you know, we were going to get, be a ship without a port kind of a deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, what would happen if we had outbreak on the ship when we were in Senegal or if we were somewhere else and just all these questions, these unknowns. So that, that was a stressful time, but it was also like a good time because you weren't doing it alone, right? You had at least 150 other people who were in, <laughs> literally in the same boat. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it, I feel like it really brought everyone together and you had a singular mission and goal in mind, particularly like that, that wrap up that amazing, like over two weeks, we got the whole ship, like packed up and ready to sail. Like, yeah, I feel like those high stress times really bring everyone together. You got a goal in mind and you're all working together. And that's, we were doing that during the field service as well, obviously, but you know, a higher stress environment (laughs) really just amplifies everything. And I, I feel like we did great. Obviously some people can handle stress better than others, but I don't remember too many cases of, you know, people going, the wrong direction and that stress. I think, I feel like people were pretty much on board with the mission and ready to go. Obviously there was a lot of people struggling with, you know, anxiety and things. And I feel like people were able to come around them and, and yeah. help in that time. Um, I think it, it did, it got more difficult. I feel like after we got out of Senegal and um, after things had settled, mm-hmm. right. So w- once you're all like rushing, 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 and it's like, okay, now we're going to just sit and wait which was a lot of what happened once we got to Tenerife after we left Senegal sure. was a lot of sitting and waiting. Yeah. And unsure future. And that's when things get, when things slow down, thoughts can spiral and things. So trying to find ways to support one another and take care of all that. And uh, as supply manager and now I, the, basically the headquarters is like, do whatever you can to, make the crew comfortable, like whatever mm. we could do. So it's like, we were ordering like, you know, a little more premium meats and things than we <laughs> usually would. Uh, we were getting like fancy cheeses and like all the like different produce and everything. So that, that was fun to kind of like brainstorm with the, the chefs. Like, what could we do to like help lift people's spirits? And wow. Yeah. So it, it was, it was a great time to just be in that position to just take part in an active role and try to, to help people on the ship in that way, I guess. Absolutely. Well, Hey, as, as somebody who was there, I can say some of those meals that we had in Tenerife were absolutely (laughs) incredible. And to know that there was intentionality behind that now is, is pretty special to know that the organization was saying, Hey, we want to take care of our people. Let's kick it up a notch. What can we do to encourage them to lift their spirits, to bless them? How about some extra special food? It was great. We loved it. <laughs> it yeah, it, it was a crazy time for sure. And it was awesome to be part of that. Absolutely. Well, Ben, you mentioned that you ended up staying until November. Once you know the ship was in Tenerife and things kind of settled down after a few months, what caused you to stay until November? You could have returned to the States. What caused you to stay longer? I mean, I, I for one, I felt like there was a need. And so I was filling a role that definitely needed they needed. And so it was nice to feel wanted and <laughs> to feel needed. And there was nothing pressing for me to return. Obviously, um, at this time, the pandemic was, yeah, we're still figuring things out and things are crazy. And I was like, everything's just being locked down back home. I can be locked down there and just hanging out or I could be 
doing some work here and actually feeling like I'm being useful and, and making a difference. And right. obviously we, we weren't functioning as a hospital at that point, but um, the organization was fully had their eye on the ball, with that goal in mind. And we were doing whatever we could to make sure we got back there as soon as possible. So um, I felt like I could help be part of that productivity and that goal. And yeah, it was, it was a matter of practicality to stay. Awesome. Well, so, so grateful that you did because it's so important to have all those people continuing to serve and to give the crew and to take care of them. So thank you for doing that. Ben, over your time on board, living on a ship, tell us something that you learned from living on a ship. There was a lot. I think I love most just learning about how, how different people from different cultures and that like it, it is real world learning experience. Like when you're, you're crammed into a four birth with people from different countries, all these exciting places and just like learning firsthand, you know, how they deal with things, what their expectations are, how they communicate. And so that was really eye opening. Can you give us an example? Like where were your roommates from your cabin mates? Really exotic places. So um, I, I lived in a few different cabins. My first cabin was, as an, I, so I was, I did onboarding view. So I was considered long-term crew, but there wasn't a long-term cabin available to me when I first moved to the ship. So I was in a short-term cabin. So then I got a lot of turnover hmm. um, for the first, you know, six weeks or so I was on board. Uh, there were people from all sorts of Eastern European countries. There was uh, a guy from Hong Kong. Yeah. Obviously you get some Americans and things. And then my, my longer term cabins, I had a guy from Benin, Cote d'Ivoire, Liberia, Cameroon, you know, Texas, really exotic places. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And so this, some people like to start their day with singing worship at, at five 30 in the morning. You know? And so <laughs> you know, little things like that, people have different sleeping habits, you know, different types of communication styles. It's so fun. It's so fun to just get to learn from all these different cultures and to have them be your roommates on top of it. You really get an inside look into their culture. Oh, for sure. Well, Ben, how has your life been changed because of serving with Mercy Ships? I think the most tangible one is I feel like it's made me a far more pathetic person. Hmm. Um, I don't want to say like I was cold before or anything, but I think it's very easy particularly like living in, you know, our Western countries where we're very comfortable all the time and it's so easy to get caught up in, in your own issues and what's going on. And uh, there's that phrase of like, the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Mm. And so like, you're all, you're living in your own little spectrum of, of, of what's horrible and what's, what's a significant thing and just going and realize like, man, there's so much more going on and, being on the ship, getting to see that wider spectrum of, sure. of, you know, lived experience and just, yeah, have, having like every day on the ship, having that kingdom mindset of like, Lord, where, where, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? And just living out of that relationship and then bringing back that here and, and doing the same thing where it's, it's so easy to just get caught up in all the distractions we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also to like, people are still people and people are still dealing with things and to try and reach to my level, it'll look completely different here. Yeah. But um, having that same approach as I had on the ship, I guess. Mm, I love that because you know what? There are people in need all around us, no matter what country you live in. Yep. And the needs might look different and they might be more severe in different places, but still people are in need. 
And even as you mentioned earlier in this interview, you know, seeing a patient and just acknowledging their presence, there are people in Montana and people that you work with and people that you pass on the street who maybe are lonely and they're suffering from the impoverishment of love. They don't have someone that cares about them and sees them and loves them. And so just being able to acknowledge their presence, to say hello and look them in the eye, that means the world to every human being, no matter what country you live in. Exactly. I went into Mercy Ships with this approach of like, I'm going to like participate in God's kingdom and like, I'm here to serve that purpose. And then like had my mind blown and realized that's not what God wanted me to do. <laughs> hmm. What do yeah. you mean? I felt like my identity was built up in what I did. Just because I feel like that's that's the default for a lot of people in our, our our cultures, right? So it's like when you first interact with someone, it's like, hey, what do you do? Sure. Right. And that's that's your identity. And so like when I took my sabbatical, I was like, I I don't know where God wants me wants me to do. So I'm gonna just inject myself into the kingdom where I know he's working. Mm. And so that's where merch ships came in. And uh, when I was on board, I was like, I was having all these great experiences and really seeing God move on board. But I just felt like I was still incomplete and I, I didn't know where he wanted me and wanted me to do next and all these things. And I remember just reaching a, a, a point and God just reaching out to me and saying, you know, I just want you. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it changed this, this approach for me that I've carried out of merchantships where it's just like, it, it's, it's less about what you're doing and more about why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And having that relationship with God and just like letting the fruit flow out of that. And I think it's good to be mindful of what you're doing, but everything we do can be out of that relationship. And so, it, yeah, there's, there's Tozer talks about this, where he talks about like a be thou exalted mentality and like everything we do can be an act of, of worship. Everything we do can be just uh, having that, that kingdom mindset and, and moving towards that and just, you know, like you said, every interaction with a person can be some sort of divine providence if, if you make it out to, to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like carrying that, that mindfulness with you throughout what, what you're doing, I think it just lends itself to being open to what God's doing yeah. and seeing rather than like, oh, I have an idea of what God wants and I'm just going to jump in here and do this one little thing when like you're closing yourself off. Mm-hmm. I think it, if you limit God to like one little action or job or role or whatever it is. And so, yeah, that God just kind of shifted my focus away from that. And that was, that was a, I mean, a, a foundational change in just my paradigm on, on things and, and my walk. And yeah. Wow. That's really cool. You think you enter the experience of serving with mercy ships with a set idea of what I'm going to do and what I have to offer, but then you get there and all of a sudden God says, I have something else for you. Right. And it's not really about what you do. Sure. Go ahead and do your job. You're doing great, but really I want to, I want to transform your heart. I want to, I want to teach exactly. you something new. Yep. Yeah. And, and there was nothing wrong with that desire. Like that's, that's a good desire to, to want to participate in the kingdom and to do those things. Absolutely. But um, God desires to do so much more and, and to, to not limit yourself to like, okay, I'm here and I'm doing this thing. God wanted me to do. Okay. And, and just <laughs> be done with it. And it's like, no, it's, 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 it's cultivating that relationship and, and those habits and, yeah. and letting life flow out from that. Absolutely. But you know what? Sometimes we miss that Mm -hmm. because we don't take the time to stop and listen. We're so focused on what we can accomplish and what we can do or the task ahead of us, our to-do list, that we just go operational. And like you said, it's good to do things, you know, to serve others and to help out in, in God's ministry of loving people. 
But sometimes we have to stop and and listen, listen to God and find oh. out, God, what are you doing in my life? What 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 can I be doing to to bless you? Yeah, I, it's 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 all about the relationship and you, you can't build a relationship off of, you know, chance encounters. It, it, t- it takes time and proximity and allowing yourself to learn to enjoy God's presence and letting mm-hmm. him speak to you and just learning what his voice sounds like. And, you know, obviously reading through the word and that's, that's firsthand how, how God chooses to speak to us oftentimes is, is, is reminding us of scripture. And things yeah, like that. So, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what a beautiful transformation to get to experience yourself as you went to serve you also yourself were were served by a loving God and transformed. Oh, for sure. I, I got way more out of this experience than I feel like I contributed. Uh, yeah, that's how the kingdom works oftentimes though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ben, thank you so much for sharing with us today a little bit about your Mercy Ships journey and, and what you're up to. Thanks for serving in such a unique role. <laughs> it's so cool to hear from you. So thanks so much for, for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Ryan. To get involved with Mercy Ships, you can either give, go, or pray. Give by going to mercyships.org. You can volunteer by checking out opportunities at mercyships.org forward slash volunteer. And most importantly, you can pray. We invite you to pray with us for our crew and for our patients. Well, summer is wrapping up and it's just about time to go back to school. Next week, science teacher Mike Kirchner is kicking off the new school year on New Mercies. Come back next week to learn a thing or two from Mike Kirchner.